1: Glad to have all of you with us for Political Rewind as we start a brand new week here at Georgia Public Broadcasting. Um, Got a lot to talk about in politics today. I think everybody knows the Iowa primary, I mean, the New Hampshire primary uh, comes up tomorrow. We'll be talking a lot more about that on tomorrow's show. We have a great panel of analysts coming in for that and the show on Wednesday. Uh, And in the meantime, lots of state politics to discuss today. Um. Academy Awards? I don't know. I mean, I Jackie Cushman is here, Jackie, conservative columnist, whose new book is Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Start Listening. You can also read her at JackieCushman.com or, as, I, as, um, as many people do, go to Town, Town Hall, Hall. Right. where your columns are posted. But you said uh, just before we went on the air how exciting it was that Parasite – One, you haven't seen it yet. I I think it's a brilliant film, and I can't recommend it highly enough, but it's very important for South Korea.
2: Absolutely. So um, I just was in Korea last week. I was in South Korea in Seoul, um, and I've never been there, never been anywhere in Asia. And it was such a great reminder of how big our world is. Mm -hmm. I mean, to travel to Europe is one thing, but to travel somewhere where you don't even recognize the letters of the language is a totally different experience. So I really enjoyed it. Um, But for them, this is a huge win, Uh, a great film, according to you. And I I trust your judgment. Um, And so for them, it's a a recognition of of their filmmaking and also a really recognition of their kind of their soft power as we talk about it. I mean, they are they're very big in terms of cosmetics, very big in terms of pop culture. They're doing a lot of other things, but they're they're definitely South Korea is a country that's thriving um, which is, is really fascinating to watch it happen. Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's a very very dark comedy, but it's also to some extent political because it really talks very specifically about the widening gap between the haves and have-nots, in this case in Korea. Uh, But I think it has applications here. I certainly wasn't up to see it awarded. I always go to sleep right after I see (laughs) the all-important award for production design. I wait for that and then uh, fall off to sleep. (laughs) All right, let's get started with the show today. Jim Galloway, the uh, lead political writer for the Atlanta (laughs) Journal-Constitution, joins us by telephone Uh, today. We read Jim in the Wednesday and Sunday paper and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great out here in West Cobb. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning to you. Uh, right here in the studio, Senator Sally Harrell, who as a Democrat represents uh, Atlanta primarily, is your, is, is your piece of, of, uh, of the state, right? North DeKalb County. North DeKalb County. But Atlanta, too, right?
0: The greater Atlanta area. Well, I have one backyard in the city of Atlanta. I go
1: through this every time, and I think that you have DeKalb and then a chunk of Atlanta as well.
0: One backyard. Okay. I get a vote on the Atlanta delegation.
1: Okay. Maybe that's why I think of you in in Atlanta. Um, Ariel Hart is also with us today. She's Jim's colleague at the AJC, and Ariel, you you write, of course, on... Uh, health and medical issues uh, primarily. And we're really glad you're here today because we are going to talk today a little bit about the budget and the health care issues that many people are raising in terms of the budget. So thanks for being here.
3: Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, let me start, Jim, with an overview, though. Uh, you wrote a column that appeared in the Sunday paper in which you talked about, and we've talked about it on the show to some extent, but it's worth just going over again briefly. Y- you say, Unless you've been to the Capitol for a long time, unless you've covered a lot of sessions, been there as a state representative, state senator, uh, it's hard to understand just how unusual this session has become. Why is that?
4: Okay. Well, now you, we, the, the 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 legislature has now gone on hiatus mm-hmm. from from last Wednesday to next uh, February eighteenth. It's a that's a that's a huge recess, if you will, and 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 recesses as such aren't uncommon. But this one is this one is because usually they they, they, they come up later in the, in the in the budget process when 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 the House and Senate and the governor are kind of doing some very very intense uh, negotiations over very specific things. This time, we the House has not yet passed even uh, uh, its amended budget for, for this year, much less the, the big budget uh, that takes effect on July first. I mean, it is that's that's a baby step. That's a baby step that hasn't happened yet, and what we have what we have here right now, I think is a I sat down with uh, with uh, House Speaker David Ralston on Thursday, and he made the case that that uh we've we've got we've got a structural uh uh event happening here that that the governor is closing off. Financial information to to House lawmakers in a way that that hasn't been done before. I mean, that's that's Ralston's argument. Uh, he points to a, a memo back in September. You, know, you, you remember where 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 when uh, Governor Kemp tried to uh, announce that in August that he was imposing four uh, percent around a four percent. Uh, percent cuts immediately followed by next year by six percent. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. So, so Ralston immediately called for hearings to find out what that would mean to uh, in, in specific department heads, and department heads were sho- told not to give him any information. There was a line in the September 5th memo from Kemp's attorney that said, The law contemplates that the legislature ought not to get any of that information unless it is. Formally in session, i.e., the, the, uh, until after the second uh, Monday in January, that's a, that's a really big power play.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and 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 Sally, I saw you nodding throughout what uh, Galloway was talking about, and, and this sort of sets the table for the conversation we're going to have today about some of these cuts, and and especially as they affect the uh, the. the Health services across the state, but just in a general way, your your sense of whether or not the governor, by acting so unilaterally, by not apparently, in, you know, bringing in GOP legislators, the mm-hmm. speaker and others, whether that's exacerbated exacerbated what's led us to this eight day uh, recess.
0: I'm sure it, it has. Uh you have to remember that the 4% cut is to a budget that the legislature passed Mm -hmm. last year. So that right there is a slap in the face. I sat through the uh, budget hearings uh, where the department heads presented their budgets. And what was interesting was not to necessarily hear what they had to say that was interesting, but what was more interesting was to hear the muttering of the legislators. uh, What they were saying is things like, Those cuts are all the things we've put in the budget for like the last 10 years. Uh, These are the things, these are the ideas we came up with to solve these problems in our hometowns. And so that was an affront to their work of the last decade. I've even heard legislators even back a couple or three decades who are now lobbying at the Capitol who are saying they're taking everything out that we we put in. And I'm not talking, you know, fishing museums or movie theaters. I'm talking about actual services. Yes, healthcare services.
1: Let let me ask you a quick question. How long have you been down there now at the Capitol?
0: Well, I started about 20 years ago. Yeah,
1: you've been there for a long time. Right. That's my point. Right. Now, we've seen amended budgets, supplemental budgets, as as they're often referred to, cut back before because the you know, the economics have changed, right? This isn't the first time, I want to be certain I'm correct on this, that an, that the big budget has had to be amended and scaled back because revenues didn't come in. Am I right about that?
0: Sure. I, I, we saw some of that, I think, in 2001 with the tech bubble. Right. I wasn't around to see the Great Recession, the 08. Yeah. I was out at that point. But certainly we've seen that before. But this is the first time that I've seen it happen during a good economic time. Gotcha. And I I think the difference is, is that we've always been a fiscally conservative state, and we've always – we've done that. We've been very responsible by kind of underestimating the revenue. This year, we overestimated the revenue, and that's going in a direction that I've never seen Georgia go in.
1: So, Jackie, um, one cautionary note. James Salzer, who was on the show mm-hmm. late last week uh, to talk about the budget cuts, filed a piece on the front page of the AJC this morning – and essentially the headline was most Georgians won't feel most of these cuts. Uh, many of the cuts uh, that, that Salzer talks about ha- are things like one person in, a, in an agency will go to a conference instead of six people will go to that conference, and other economies like that, maybe automation right. uh, taking uh, the, the place of, of empty positions. Mm-hmm. So Salzer makes the point that um, that. Not a lot. There are only certain areas where we're going to feel the the pain, but there are areas. And that's one of the reasons Ariel's here today.
2: Oh well, absolutely. And I think um, I think it's very important to step back. And it was a good framework in terms of the, the process. There are a couple of things happening. First of all, you have Governor Kemp, who in his budget clearly tries to deliver on his campaign promises. So this is a governor who's not running in the fall. And so he's trying to deliver early so that he can make sure that when he runs in two more years, that, that's that's there. Secondarily, you have a state legislature. You have Speaker Ralston on the House side. And he's, um, you know, he's concerned not only with he has to pass a balanced budget in Georgia, which we know that, but he also has to set up his team um, to win in the fall on the, on the state level to keep the House. The Senate has the same issue. So we have they do have an election year. So that makes it a little different, right, for them. And then you have the standard, you know, back and forth negotiation. Um, and then you have then you have separately. That's kind of the political standpoint. Then separately, you have the process of budgeting. And so this is what I think is interesting is, you know, in some of the cases where obviously it makes sense to cut some of the budget. So, for instance, if you can, you know, travel some travel, you know, to cut travel down, that makes sense, possibly save on um, landlines, et cetera. But I think it's very dangerous. And I actually worked in corporate corporate budgeting for years. I ran a $3 billion um, corporate division. It's a little dangerous to take positions that are empty or haven't been filled and just say, we're not going to do that because what you don't know is, is that division really struggling already? And will more people leave because they can't actually do the job? So I think it, you have to have a little more discernment in the process, which is what I think is why we're calling for this recess to have a little more time to go back through everything on the on the, um, on the legislative side, um, which, again, remember, it's really unusual because – they really want to get out so they can start campaigning and, and getting to the process right. of, of getting reelected. So I am I'm, I'm glad that they're doing that process to, to kind of take take a step back and saying, if we're going to do this, how do we do it in the right way?
1: Okay. Um, Ariel, I should point out, uh, Tom House just sent me a note that a number of Democrats in the legislature, Scott Holcomb, Terry, and Olawitz, among them are tweeting already this morning, and this is an irony, Democrats complaining about a headline in the Atlantic Journal <laughs> <General> Constitution. <laughs> they don't like the headline, which essentially says most Georgians won't feel uh, the Welcome cuts. Welcome to my
3: email inbox. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, let's, let's talk about areas where there is some real concern. You've been tracking it very, very closely. What are the areas in terms of health-related services that you've watched that you think people do have a good reason to be concerned about?
3: Well, I mean, there are cuts broadly throughout healthcare within the budget, as there would have to be because it's a big part of the budget. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that the governor has exempted from cuts is Medicaid layouts. So the money that goes from the state to pay for a uh, Medicaid patient services that's exempted from the cuts. Um, and um, but on the other hand, what's not exempted from the cuts is the Workers who are in a different department who process Medicaid paperwork and As we've seen over the last year um, There are issues within that uh, process and they have a hard time hiring people because of partly because of the pay so um, You know so so that's one area you've got behavioral health essentially mental health um, Addiction services those are seeing cuts um, we've got uh, something that's had a big impact politically. I think is these grants to county departments of public health, which in, is
1: where many people get their health services. That's the delivery. Yeah, system. I mean, and in they, they rural don't rural areas particularly. Exactly, I assume.
3: we have nine counties with no doctor, and so in some counties, this is the only place where somebody can see any uh, health professional of any kind. Um, and you know they don't offer every service in the world, but it's it's somewhere where some preventive services are offered and where there's some kind of link to the healthcare system, um, and you know so so these are things that kind of they have a symbolic impact, and then they also. Um, it, it looks like listening to the testimony will have an actual impact so on some We should healthcare. point
1: out that Kathleen Toomey, who is the head of public health for the state of Georgia, is she a – but she, she was a Dathan Deal appointee. So I, I think – or even before then.
3: That's a good. I mean, she's not a pointie, So, well, to the she best of my she has been in the public health right. picture yeah. in yeah, Georgia for veteran. quite some time. She's a veteran, she, she's a veteran. I and think highly respected just, yeah, over very the years. Yeah.
1: But but she is, is suggesting that things aren't going to be as bad as some people have painted in community health programs.
3: It's fascinating to watch her. Um. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> 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 she. So what her her. Uh, Her statement is that they have done everything they can to minimize the impact of the cuts. And so sometimes when you question her, she'll say there will be no impact to current services. And then if you press, she'll say, well, minimal impact to current services. So then you get into this dividing line between Mm -hmm. are we cutting back on services or just on the current people who are being served, which to me is like, you know, if you say we are not going to cut back on the services that this hospital has offered to everybody it has ever served before, we're just going to close the doors to the future okay. patients, you know, is that...
1: Mm. Jim, weigh in. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out as you get into the mix again is that uh, uh, Ariel last fall, I think in October, filed a big piece looking early on at the budget cuts and identified over $50 million in cuts to health programs uh, just in the the current budget, the fiscal year that we're living in right now. That sounds like a huge uh, amount of money, and it's no wonder that it scares people a bit.
4: Oh, right, right, right. And in, in another area, when I was talking to, to Speaker Ralston, he said that cuts to, uh, to accountability courts established by mm. Nathan Deal— uh would put uh 500 participants immediately take take them out of the programs and put them into the 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 streams that we've been trying to avoid which is regular probation or or prison but uh another another facet of this is that speaker speaker ralston uh uh, uh took on the topic of pay hikes for teachers which Kemp has promised yeah and, you know, he says he's all in favor of them, but he, he also said this may not be the year for them. Kemp has another couple of years in his term to, to meet that promise. Uh, and m- more significantly, you know, we've all often put this into the, the teacher pay hike in competition with what state lawmakers want, which is a 25 a, uh, a de- percent uh, decrease in the state income tax. Yeah. Very, very minor. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he didn't, Ralston did not mention that at all. Which uh, which which kind of suggests that there may be a, a swap here. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll ditch our tax hike if you'll uh, ditch your teacher pay hike.
1: Sally, let me. Uh, uh, Jim uh, uh, talked about the teacher pay raise, mm-hmm. um, and I think there are a lot of Democrats. I, I know that the Democratic Party of Georgia is already launching a campaign, essentially, uh, to uh, go after Governor Kemp for budget cuts. That that. Uh, The party will try to message uh, as being uh, very harmful to the people of Georgia. When it comes to the health services, which uh, I want to keep talking about for a few more minutes, uh, do you fear that 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 teacher raise the governor has promised is uh, part of the reason why we're dealing with cuts in services that deal with people's health in the state, mental health, uh, physical health, whatever?
0: I do. Uh, I've heard that only about 20% of Georgia's entire budget is actually discretionary, money that can be moved around mm-hmm. from one priority to the other. So there's just not a lot of room. So, you know, I think everybody wants the teachers to get that money. Uh, although it, it, teacher pay is currently above the national mm-hmm. average. So we're doing pretty good in that area. Um, and so there is a cost. Uh, if you give the teachers an additional, I think, what is it, two, two more thousand dollars, Yeah. then mm-hmm. you're going to cut it from someplace else. And Georgia really is lagging in terms of health care. And that will only get worse if we face these cuts again.
1: You know, Jackie, it's interesting in the interview that, uh, that Jim did with uh, the speaker, he was very cautious to try to be as respectful as possible to to downplay what we've talked about in the show as a real schism between the two men over the budget. Here's the quote: "The governor's my friend," uh, Ralston told Jim. "I don't have any goal here other than for us as a house to do our job. He understands what my job is. I understand what his job is. We may disagree on some specifics, but I'm at a point in life where I think disagreements can be a healthy." Thing. Well, that's putting a lovely spin on it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think
2: Speaker Ralston, um, I mean, he's very smart. He's, you know, done this before. This is not new for him. He's been through the pro- budget process with other governors and understands how that works. And he knows his job is to pass a budget and to get his house reelected. That's his job. Um, and I do think he's right. I do think that the good part of this is, um, and he also went to, I believe it was a mayor's breakfast last week or somewhere where he said, you know, you need to go and make and talk about concerns you have with the budget. If you're concerned about your city, let it be known. So I do think it's important that we realize that this is um, – it reflects the priorities of our state. And so when we go through this process, it's important for us to speak up and say we need certain things and let's make sure they're in the budget.
1: Uh, by the way, uh, Faust just looked it up. Kathleen to me, uh was, in fact, appointed by Kemp last yeah, spring. So. Okay. Uh, she had been the Fulton County a right. uh, uh, public health director, and so was she. Is a camp appointee, hence Ariel why you talk a little carefully about what your boss, the governor is doing with all due respect to her. And most of these commissioners, (laughs) you know, serve at the will of the governor and his boards. Yeah. Uh, One other quick thing about this. Um, We haven't talked in, in all the conversations we've had about budget cuts about Sharon Cooper, who has been out there very aggressively, Ariel, saying that we have got to do something about maternal mortality in this state. And she herself Having studied this, having put together a group to study it, is saying, "Yeah, this may not be the session I'm going to get what I need." Talk about that a little. Yeah,
3: more. so um, she uh, co-chaired a study committee last year on maternal mortality. After we uh, ran some stories um, reporting that Georgia has um, had the worst maternal mortality rate in the United States among states, and the U.S. had the worst in the industrialized world. So um, their study committee did some good work, and they found some uh, things that you could do quickly if you want. Um, One of them was to extend the amount of time that new moms get to be on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, a new mom, she gets Medicaid through her childbirth and then maybe for 60 days afterwards. And then you have to earn a teeny, teeny amount of money in order to qualify. Most moms get kicked off.
1: Kate Cooper essentially initially said I, we need they need a year a
3: year she, yeah so she wanted a year um, and then she said you know well when we were interviewing her about it she said we'll ask for a year but a, a six months would be a gift mm-hmm. um, so you know that's uh, they are preserving Medicaid but they're not expanding it and so that's something that didn't get in um, and then there was money for I think there was five hundred thousand um, dollars for Morehouse to open a research uh, initiative on maternal mortality. Yeah. And that's very important because African-American women have a mortality rate dying after childbirth or, or during or before uh, of three times uh, other ethnicities. And so Morehouse was really going to take a look at that, and that money got cut.
1: Jim?
4: Yeah, I would. I would just add that uh, when I was talking to to Ralston, he identified that m- maternal mortality is his priority as well. I mean, he had mm-hmm. a, he had a big hand in setting up that special commission mm-hmm. that that uh, that Ms. Cooper and I think it's Mark Newton out of Augusta chaired. Yeah, correct.
1: So, oh, but so you're assuming that they're going to find some way to put money uh, back I, I into think that, this, yes, I think Thank I think, heard. I
4: think, You know, I mean, uh, 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 when I talked to Sharon Cooper about this, she said, "If I can't get a year, I'll take six months," yeah. and, and and that may be what they're looking for. All
1: right. Um, Let's do this. Uh, Let's get a break out of the way. There's another issue developing that's on uh, Ariel's beat, but one that all of us are paying close attention to, I think. And that's what's happening to Governor Kemp's waivers, Medicaid waivers, uh, that he's submitted now to the feds. uh, And we'll talk about that when we come back on Political Rewind. We're back on... We're back on uh, Political Rewind. Um, I was checking messages to see if I'm missing any news, but I'm back with everybody now. Um, all right. So, uh, uh, Ariel, let me set you up for this. Uh, we know that Governor Kemp applied for two waivers uh, with federal government that would give him more flexibility than the federal law now allows uh, for dealing with uh, spending money on health care. One of them we know is the highly controversial Waiver that would allow uh, the state to expand Medicaid in a limited way, and, and we know that's very controversial. Many, many people, Democrats particularly, would like a full expansion. That hasn't happened. Um, but the other waiver is a waiver which would provide subsidies for people who are not low, the lowest income Georgians. But people of higher incomes who buy insurance on the, on the exchanges, the Obama exchanges, um, and now they're going to get a subsidy for that right. if the waiver goes through. There are indications now from the feds. That they're looking favorably upon this, but you'll tell us how favorably. Right.
3: Yeah, so that so let's set aside the Medicaid waiver. That's got nothing to do with this right. particular one. Right. So this one is about buying individual insurance, uh, usually on the Affordable Care Act exchange. And um, I, I always thought that this was kind of like the the sleeper. Um, that this was going to be the vehicle for a lot more innovation slash controversy than the other one, and indeed it is. Um, So the Kemp administration has asked the federal government to allow it to do a ton of things, one of which is to basically cancel the healthcare.gov Obamacare website, Mm. take control of that $2.7 billion in subsidies, and um, basically, you know, Move Obamacare into the state. Set up our own portal. Set up up our own. Well, it's it's confusing at this point. Okay. Well, let's not get confused. So, so basically, what the Kemp administration did was they uh, wrote a letter. uh, Governor Kemp wrote a letter. to the federal government saying, you know what, all that very interesting, innovative stuff, let's put that aside for the moment and just focus on the simple thing that has been done in other states, which is to pay a whole lot of government money into insurance claims, basically subsidize (coughs) the insurance companies. And then that uh, is something that will help the insurance companies – Eat, take the burden off of them, and then they can charge people less. And so that is very simple. It's been approved in other states. The federal government said, "Yep, we'll separate those out, and we will move forward and open public comment on this piece."
1: So again, you know, an individual could make be making a hundred plus thousand dollars sure. a year, have be have her or his insurance through the exchange, have a big big medical bill. And the state of Georgia, there' would be a combination of funds. The state, my understanding is, would have a, would put a hundred million into this. The Fed's 250 million. And even though I've got a, a pretty significant income, uh, I would get some of those costs of that Bill, the insurance company would pay less. The you, government yeah, would help cover would, the cost of the insurance company. The, you, the insurance exactly. company's You cost. would
3: see it through a lower premium. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, but but okay. So Jim, go ahead. You want to weigh in on this? No,
4: yeah, I, I, I don't think I've seen anything in in, in in what Governor Brian Kemp has done that 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 illustrates uh, his his slogan of uh, uh, putting hardworking Georgians first. More clearly, uh, I mean this is not this is not aimed at people who, who can't afford insurance this is aimed at helping people who already have insurance mm-hmm. keep insurance uh, so it's it's kind of uh, you know it's, it's this is this is something uh, intended to assist the middle class
1: Sally?
0: <clears throat> well, the intent of the insurance subsidies is to lower the cost of the ACA plans because those have gotten quite expensive. And the goal is to make health insurance affordable for the middle class. Um, the problem I see with this approach is it, it is insurance subsidy. It's, it's, it's not subsidies to individuals. It's It's corporate subsidies. Um, there's another piece to the waiver, the piece where you're going to be signing up for your insurance on a different website. Mm -hmm. And that is also opening up uh, people to be able to advertise uh, insurance plans that don't cover the 10 essential benefits. Uh, Some people refer to these as junk plans.
1: Now, wait, do we know that this, since it hasn't been approved and hasn't been put in place, you're making an assumption, correct? You're you're not... You, we don't know for a fact what plans are it going is, to be offered. That's right. It is, okay, a, I it just is want to a proposal. Make sure. But okay. the pro-
0: proposal opens up uh, the website to be able to advertise different kinds of cheaper plans that cover okay. fewer benefits. So my fear is that as um, if you're going to use these corporate subsidies, um, to, the government's basically p- paying the, the high-dollar claims – Um, That should bring down price. But as people get attracted to the lower price uh, insurance plans, they're not going to buy into the uh, ACA plans as much. The number of people enrolled in the ACA plans could go down, which then the market would then push the price back up. Real cool.
4: Yeah,
3: and that and that is a concern of um, uh, liberal critics of the Kemp plan. That also is part of the piece that's been put aside for the moment, and um, so right now the only thing in front of the federal government is the piece about: Are we going to just subsidize the insurance companies in order to lower costs for the premiums for people who? You know, if, if you are uh, an individual making 60-some thousand dollars a year, you're going to pay full price right now. And so in metro Atlanta, um, that might go down 4 percent.
1: Jackie, I understand why waivers like this can be controversial. I especially understand the limited expansion of Medicaid. But, but I also have to say, um, is there – just in a more theoretical and in a general way – The notion of giving states an opportunity to be more creative, more inventive in how they approach health care, I mean, it has its dangers. It also potentially uh, has benefits depending on who's doing it. I mean, I wonder if a Democratic uh, governor, a liberal Democratic governor had a plan that he thought might be useful, uh, would it be OK? But it turns out these are mostly Republican plans that are being offered as waivers.
2: Well, I think that's very standard, though, because if you think about the um, back to your kind of big view... If you look at Republicans, normally are more let's try different things and see which state can figure it out, and Democrats, on average, not everybody, but it's more let's let someone else, the federal government, whoever else, do it, and we'll participate. But I think it's important for people to remember that this part of the waiver. And I think it's very smart they pulled them apart; um, otherwise, we'd get stuck forever on the, the more complicated side. Is that it, it includes a um, hundred million dollars in Georgia dollars and two hundred fifty million in federal dollars. And this money um, will actually reduce, right, what people, individuals have to pay for their health insurance. So it does benefit Georgians. um, Well, again,
1: it it presumably... We'll do that. We again, we're we're talking theoretically about a well, lot of things. Oh, right? we,
2: well, that's the truth in anything in life. Until we actually do it, we don't know. <laughs> but they, right, so it's like, <laughs> that's like saying the forecast. Yeah. Yes, it's a well, forecast for weather because it hasn't <laughs> happened. Um, but so yeah, so but, yeah, I, th- I think it should, and, and we'll have to wait and see. But I think it's smart for them to go ahead and push this forward. But there is a comment period, and I think you'll know how long it lasts until when. Yeah,
3: it's it's thirty days, so I think uh, March seventh or sixth. But the, to that point, um, it has worked in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, if, if I'm an analyst, I am wondering how much of the ins- how much of the money the insurance companies are going to give back.
1: Right. I mean, that's one of the questions that we always have to ask. And, and even Jackie says we've got to see how it plays out. Jim, you want to jump in?
4: Uh, yeah, I've got, got a question for Ariel. When does when when might this uh, this uh, proposal take effect?
3: That is a very interesting question, Jim. As it turns out, <laughs> as, as it turns out, people might be learning about their lower premiums right before election day. Oh. My, what oh. a
1: coincidence! <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, do we have hundred million dollars? It, That's another Where does $100 million to, in state see, money come from, Sally?
3: The, all of the t- I don't know. Yeah. All of the tough, all of the tough stuff yeah. happens in after the election. Next, you know, next budget discussion.
1: Okay. Um, while we're talking about this, Sally, I yes. want to talk about uh, a measure that you've introduced, uh, Senate Bill three three nine.
0: Correct. Yes. Um,
1: which in which you want to take Peach Care, right? Which is the program that ensures. Uh, Children right uh, who don't whose families don't have money to, to buy insurance themselves. And what would you like to do with Peach Care? Uh, what is the basis of this? Well, Peach Care has been
0: a very successful program. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Senate Bill three three nine proposes is that the Department of Community Health design a public option plan. I would call that Peach Care Public Option uh, because people feel good about Peach Care. But what it, what it would do is it it would allow anyone, no matter their age no matter their income level or their insured status, to choose to purchase a Medicaid plan. Um, Peach Care is actually Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Um, People normally think negatively about Medicaid, but when we renamed Medicaid Peach Care, um, suddenly it was much more attractive. And so um, this would put another choice in the marketplace, and I believe it would help... um, to decrease cost of all the private plans. Um, It uh, would allow people to buy a policy that is uh, reliable, uh, which doesn't have surprise billing. This is targeted to people who don't like their private plan. Certainly while I was campaigning, I talked to a lot of people that were very frustrated with their private plans. They paid very high deductibles. Uh, they uh, have very high monthly premiums. And by the time they pay their monthly premiums and meet the du- deductible, wa- they're well into the year and they're putting so much cash into it that they feel like they can't pay to go to the doctor. So they're they're putting lots of money into their plan, but they still feel they can't access affordable health care. So this would allow them to, to uh, ditch their private plan and um, pay whatever it costs the government to deliver the health care, pay to participate in uh, the Medicaid or Peach or care.
1: So here's what I'm talking about where you look to try innovative uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, changes. But does this, too, because you're talking about Medicaid, mm-hmm. does this require a waiver?
0: No. It could be done without the federal government.
1: Why? I, you're, are you taking state, state, state money? Yeah, that's, that's, right. that's, that's what i and, and, right. yeah. and it's
0: budget neutral because they are paying – They the, the Department of Community Health would determine how much it, it would cost uh, for them to purchase the plan. So it's budget neutral because they pay what it costs to deliver the health care. Now, because Medicaid is an efficient program, uh, you don't have to pay for a lot of marketing and things like that. Um, the cost should come in, I estimate – Five to ten percent, what the private ACA plans uh, come in at. But the main thing is, it puts a a selection out there that's affordable that the private plans have to compete with, and so it kind of works to hold the line on the cost going up with the private plans. So everyone benefits. Do you have any
1: thoughts about when you hear? I mean, first of all, this is a we or no a Democratic state senator in a Republican-controlled general assembly, and I think you. Said before the show and on, you don't have any Republican sponsors co-signing or signing on to this bill at this point. Do you expect to get them? Is this theoretical more than it is? It is not
0: theoretical. It's already been passed by the state of Washington. About 20 other states uh, have some piece of legislation uh, looking at this. Um, It's – it, it will it, it is it is an innovative way of mm-hmm. of thinking that is different than Kemp's proposal and I believe it will help to keep those costs of those private plans down more than Kemp's will once he enters if he enters those junk plans into the picture
3: I think it's interesting I think one thing it might do is um, put pressure on um, on the state as far as the rates that they pay to Mm -hmm. providers because providers do complain about the low rates of reimbursement Mm -hmm. from medicaid and so right now you have just this tremendous swath of children in georgia on medicaid Mm -hmm. but not not many adults and certainly not many adults with um with leverage so So what i see it it, it, i I think it may sorry
0: i think it may be slow to catch on but what i see is if as if As people start seeing it as an option and they call their legislators to say, I want Medicaid, suddenly they're hearing from voters, I want Medicaid, which kind of changes their outlook as to the Medicaid program. I apologize.
1: Jackie, if anyone understands what Sally is saying about, you know, starting a conversation, it's you, your father – Planted seeds for some of the programs he implemented many years later, and in some right. cases it didn't implement. Right. Uh, but by starting conversations with people like me, local reporters, and <laughs> and uh, it, it it goes to show that that a, a proposal like this, if you vet it, 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 this can take a long time to actually. Uh, see what you can do with it.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think it's something worth looking at. Um, I do. I am concerned about the reimbursement rates because that's been a big problem and some concerns about how does that actually affect access to health care and what doctors you see. Um, in addition to that, I hear budget neutral, but when I hear government and budget neutral, the words don't seem to go together. So I'm a little concerned about how you'd actually set it up and actually process it and what's the minimum number of people you have to have in it to actually be functioning, so it's just a to your point, just a lot of questions about something we need to start looking at as a possibility, and to making sure even though it sounds like the same program, we don't just roll it in and and get you know and get, it gets lost and never never land. So I think it's interesting to look at
0: reimbursement rates require commitment. From the Department of Community Health Board and the legislature uh, to keep up. After um, you're right, they are a little bit slow to to increase reimbursement rates. I introduced this uh, proposal at a fundraiser of mine, and a, a pediatric gastroenterologist said that his rates haven't increased. For 20 years, but that's that's the role of the legislature. That's our responsibility to fix that problem, and we just need to commit to doing it. Well, I
1: appreciate your um, uh, telling us a little about it. It'd be interesting to see what kind of traction you're able to get, especially with people on the other side of the aisle. Let's do this. We got to get a final break out of the way. When we come back, Jim Galloway, they're voting in Iowa tomorrow.
2: New Hampshire. New Hampshire. I
1: mean, Hampshire. I've said that twice. <laughs> they I may have,
4: still be voting in Iowa. Yeah, probably so that, still. That's I why am, you said I it. have now said
1: that twice <laughs> on this show. Tomorrow is the New Hampshire primary. Uh, we're going to talk about that with the panel after we get in this break. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Senator, Senator Sally Harrell uh, Ariel Hart from the AJC, Jackie Gingrich Cushman, conservative columnist and author of Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Start Listening, her latest book. And Jim Galloway, join us today. So February 11th, we've been waiting for this date a long time because it's when New Hampshire votes. You know, Jim, I understand that Iowa is you know terribly important because it's the first state. But, you know, I, over the years that I've covered that i used to cover presidential politics new hampshire was a day that i really look forward to most because it's the first time we get like real votes from real people going into <laughs> polling places um so i don't think we can underestimate especially after the iowa fiasco and, and
4: you've got any and you get and you finally get a sense of where independence might be yes, going yes
1: yes so i we cannot underestimate especially this cycle um how important new hampshire will be except as we look at the latest polling, I'm not sure we're going to get a whole lot of clarity out of New Hampshire tomorrow either.
4: No, no, you've got what Bernie Sanders and and uh, 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 Pete Buttigieg up at the top, and then you've got then you've got uh, what Elizabeth Warren number three, and Biden is number four. This, you know, this look, this we could be watching a a, a slow death spiral for Biden.
1: Um, uh, ac- actually, Amy Klobuchar in um, in a, in a couple of polls today. Is suddenly moving up. Emerson College and Suffolk mm-hmm. University are doing tracking polls, and overnight they put Amy Klobuchar uh, in third place uh, ahead of Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. So, and she's been on the upward trajectory for the last mm-hmm. week in New Hampshire.
4: Yeah, and and, and it, it kind of it kind of feeds into the theme of of you know the 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 progressive left versus the moderate middle. Who will be the moderate champion? Yeah. And is and I think as people are are watching Joe Joe Biden and and getting more and more doubts, they're looking for you know they're you know they're they're testing out Buttigieg, they're testing out Klobuchar, and and I wouldn't I, look, I, I really would not count out Michael Bloomberg at this point.
1: Yeah, I, Jackie Cushman, let me ask you as a Republican, when you watch, you know, we know that the, the White House that the, that that Trump and his campaign arm have uh, made it clear that Joe Biden is a guy they want to try to, to damage as much as possible, presumably because they have thought he was their potentially biggest opponent. Um, but all of a sudden, Mike Bloomberg feels a little bit more real than he did when he first announced his campaign, and it seemed kind of quixotic.
2: Well, I think that part of that is because the other candidates have fallen down so rapidly. Um, and it's interesting to watch. So, I mean, I, I think that um, and I don't know, but my guess is that President Trump and his campaign want to hurt all Democratic candidates equally, not just the ones they think may be hard to beat. They don't care. They're going to go after everybody. Um, Biden, I think, uh, initially was the one that, that a lot of Democrats thought could win. And so he had a lot of support from that side. But I think you've seen him take a series of missteps that, you know, he's always been nice. I mean, you know, he, nice guy. You know, he says funny things, but we like him. But. The funny things keep getting odder and odder. And I think yesterday he actually called a woman a lying dogface pony soldier at a campaign event. So it just makes you kind of wonder about what's going on. And that doesn't help. Um, if you look at Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they're clearly on the on the left side of the party. So if you're not happy being out there on the left, then you're not happy with them. Amy Klobuchar, I think, is a great she's a I think she's a, a great candidate and, quite mm-hmm. frankly, could be the best for the Democrats to run against Trump because she is very solid, very smart, very hardworking. And not, you know, far left. But I, I think they're going to end up with a far left candidate.
1: So I'd like you to go back for a second mm-hmm. to this Biden comment. Uh, you, you had heard it. I didn't hear. Was this like in a rope line? A woman came no, up. It was, was he at a podium and someone criticized he was, him? He was it's a, a really bizarre comment. He was
2: at a town hall and a woman asked him <laughs> to paraphrase, basically said, you haven't done well so far. How are you going to win the, the nomination, which is a reasonable question to ask a presidential candidate? And in fact, he said that's that's a good question to ask. And then he then he said, "Have you been to a caucus?" Because she she'd mentioned Iowa, and she said, "Yes, I have." Now they're in New Hampshire, and he goes, "You're a li- you're a lying dog face pony soldier," <laughs> which supposedly is a it's not really the true line, but it's kind of a paraphrase of a line from a John Wayne movie uh, said okay. by a narrator. But it's just. Um, It's just odd. I mean, it's not, you know, it's just kind of bizarre. Well,
1: Sally, bizarre comments like that aside, uh, Democrats, if you're a Democrat, uh, as you watch this unfold right now, as you look at New Hampshire and and see what's happening there, how and what happened in Iowa, how are you feeling about whether the party is presenting itself with strength and is moving in the right direction?
0: Well, I think that dialogue um, and having a variety of different kinds of clients is or, or uh, candidates, candidates, yes, yeah. is uh, helping the Democratic Party kind of um, figure out who who they are, and and what the people of the party want. I really don't like the terms left and right because I see uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders is more economically progressive, and I'm I'm surprised to see Bernie really coming up on top and Elizabeth further behind. Um, although I think possibly what's behind that is that Bernie has been so incredibly consistent in his values. And so I think that's a sign that people are wanting somebody they can fully depend on.
1: Um, um, Tom Faust just told me that the, per- the person who brought that, who, who got Biden to give that bizarre response was a woman from student from Mercer University. Oh, I wouldn't know. There's a Georgia wow. Georgia <laughs> connection. All right, before I, I, I and I so I apologize for getting just a little distracted listening to that, but but um, okay, Sally, so here's the for me the million dollar question. Um, you you have not endorsed you tend Correct. to stay out f- out of you know doing that in presidential politics, but but many of your colleagues in the legislature, Democrats in the legislature, have Biden's been a favorite of of more of them than anybody else, really. Um, you've got the mayor of Atlanta endorsing him mm-hmm. and be out there on the campaign trail as a surrogate. If Biden fails in New Hampshire, um yeah, sure he got he has South Carolina, but it becomes more and more problematic. What's your? Guess as to what happens to these Biden supporters who are all around you downtown.
0: I think there's plenty of time left for things to to shift. Um, I, the fact that that Biden is is falling lower in the in the polls does not, or, or in the primaries does not. Bother me at all. In fact, I've always been a believer in needing to have a bold agenda in order to inspire the electorate to get out and vote. A candidate really needs to offer something, and uh, Bernie and Elizabeth, uh, they they do that. Um, it's our young people are 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 becoming adults in a different world than their parents did. And they need some of the economic uh, securities that uh, the platforms of Elizabeth and, and Bernie offer. And so I really think that if you kind of go on out on a limb a little bit more, um, you're going to inspire more voters to get out and, and vote.
1: Ariel, you. Uh- you know, one of the reasons we think that Elizabeth Warren tanked the way she did is when she finally had to try to come up with the budget, the numbers, for her Medicare for All plan. Um, and, and what's interesting about what that has done is um, it's put us in a position where that was all the conversation through the first four debates. That's That was the main topic of conversation, everybody's plans for health care. Um, and now it's kind of faded into the background even though even though um, it's been clear from the 2018 elections and entrance surveys from Iowa that health care remains the most important issue for voters.
3: It does, and, and that's crystal clear, uh, both in Georgia and nationally. I think what's happened is that you've got a bit of a fracturing of the question on the Democratic side now. Before, it used to be, do you want to repeal the Affordable Care Act or don't you? And so now you've got a bunch of people who certainly don't want to repeal the Affordable Care Act. But the range of the things that they support is, is far different. And it's not as easy a conversation.
1: So uh, let's talk about the other side. We'll watch. We're going to we're going to certainly pay close attention to New Hampshire and have a much more extended conversation uh, over the next two days about it. Um, Jackie, the other thing that we should probably talk about is uh, is Gallup. Mm-hmm. Gallup last week. Uh, After the impeachment, while impeachment was going on, was out doing their polling of approval ratings of the president. He has his highest numbers ever in their polling since he took office in January of 2017. He's now at 49 percent. Why?
2: I'm not surprised. Um, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, he had a great week last week. Uh, The impeachment process is finally over. I impeached through the House but acquitted in the Senate. He had a great State of the Union. I'd like to say a shout-out to Vince Haley and Ross Worthington. He used to work for my dad, who were now Trump's speechwriters. They had a hand in that, Um, and the speech was spectacular. I think that helped a lot. The other thing that has happened is, if you remember when um, Trump was first elected, you had this whole backlash about, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's elected. I can't go to work. I can't go to school. It's terrible. It's tragic. I'm crying. Um, And I think Republicans should have actually— slowed down and thought about that, because there was a reason that that happened. But what happened is there was one thing after the other. Trump, you know, it was was Russiagate, it was this, it was that, it was we had issue after issue that people tried to attack him for. And now we found out that, you know, a lot of that was untrue. The dossier was totally made up, and he's now been acquitted in the Senate. So if you're Trump and you've been had this drag on you for years and finally you're kind of free of this drag— I think your polling numbers do go up.
1: Yeah. Well, Jim, we're really running out of time. I would only respond to Jack—only quickly. You know, the the Mueller report did not, in fact, really exonerate Trump, although I understand why that's the spin you want to put on it. No, 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 it did not. Um, It did did not. But—and there's—Trump still faces serious problems, but do you—with about 20 seconds left— uh, do you imagine that you're going to see similar results for Trump as you guys go back into the field?
4: I, I, I want to see. I want to see more, more, uh, more, uh, more, more data. Yeah. Uh, and, and and quite frankly, uh, the one thing that that Gallup poll I don't think measured it didn't measure that the, the day after impeachment. Uh, no,
1: it didn't. It was all – but that's what's fascinating about and, it.
4: And that Trump may have actually hurt himself with his celebration right. with spiking his football. i,
1: I got to cut you off. We're completely out of time. Thank you all for being here for Political Rewind today. We're back again tomorrow at 9 and 2. And if you missed most of us today, check us out at 2 this afternoon.